The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Uh, web designers and internet marketers, they, they have, there's a term that they use called bounce rate. Do you know what a bounce rate is? Uh, a bounce rate, uh, the definition of, of bounce rate is this. The bounce rate is the percentage of visitors that come to your website and leave without clicking to any other pages besides the one that they first landed on. And so the the bounce rate is the number of visitors who come to your website, they don't click on a darn thing, they just go back, type in a new address in the bar, or close the tab in their browser. And so then... From a web design or an internet marketing perspective, the lower the bounce rate, the better. We don't want visitors to bounce, we want them to stick. Now, there are a lot of reasons why the bounce rate of a website might, might go up or, or might go down. One of the reasons is the amount of time it takes a web page to load. This is called the, the page load time. I'm looking at some of our uh, developers out here. Am I using the right terminology, am I getting this right, a little bit outside of my area of expertise, but the, the, the page load time, this is simply the amount of time it takes a web page to load fully in your browser. Now, there's a direct correlation between page load time and bounce rate, okay? That means that the longer it takes a page to load, the higher the bounce rate is going to be. According to one site, Sites with an average page load time of two seconds saw a bounce rate, according to their their study, their numbers, saw a bounce rate of 9.6%. Now, double that page load time to four seconds, and we see the bounce rate go up to 17.1%. It almost doubles along with it. Stretch that page load time out to seven seconds, and and we see a 32.3% bounce rate. And another site notes that when browsing on a smartphone, as the page load times go from one second to three seconds, the probability of a bounce, someone just leaving, goes up by 32%. And get this, when the page load time increases to 10 seconds, the probability that a visitor will bounce increases by 123%. Take it a step further. This is really important if you're looking to make money on your website. That's when the rubber really hits the road. That's when page load times and bounce rates are really important. Now, Amazon conducted a study in which it estimated up to a 1% loss in revenue for every 100 millisecond delay in page load time. A 1% loss in revenue for every 100 millisecond delay in page load time. Think about this. Think about this. We have the entire world of information available to us at our fingertips as long as it loads in five seconds or fewer. Isn't that interesting? And this, this, is, the world that we, this is the world that we live in. This is the world that we inhabit. We are the bouncers, aren't we? It's as if we've evolved or we have advanced beyond waiting, right? Waiting is, that's a thing of the past. 
And look, it's not just page load times on your favorite website. Think about that text, that last text message that you just sent, and the person hasn't replied. And so you pick up your phone and, and you check just to make sure. And you set it down, you pick up your phone a couple minutes later and check just, just to see if they've replied yet. And, and three minutes after sending the text message, what starts to happen? Like angst and in frustration, especially if you're texting me, because there's still, you know, 15 more hours until I'm going to reply to you, right? Um, how frustrated were you at the beginning of the pandemic when Amazon Prime delivery stretched from two days to five days? How many of you would say that in the first few months of the pandemic, like, that was the hardest thing you had to deal with? And look, we'd be naive to think that this mindset hasn't creeped its way into our spiritual lives as well. Right? We'd, we'd be naive to think that this is shaping us and forming our expectations in, in every way other than in our spiritual lives. That, that's, that's not how things work. And so it, it's, it's impacted and shaped the way that we approach spiritual disciplines. For example, you, you might grow especially or, or easily discouraged during what we like to call as Christians dry seasons, right? Like, I, look, I've been sitting down, doing my quiet times, I've been doing my devotionals, but I, I tell you what, I, it's, for the last week or so, for the last month or so, they, they've been really, been really dry. And so what, what happens? We, we grow frustrated with these dry seasons. We, we struggle to feel the Word at work in us right now. We struggle to see the Word at work in us right now. And, and, and we're tempted, because of just a, a, a week or a month-long quote-unquote dry spell, we're tempted to ask the question, what's the point anyways? And to question whether or not there's any real power in God's Word at all. And this might not happen explicitly, like out, out loud in your conversations, but this is, this is the kind of thing that builds in you. We, we, this affects the way that we view uh, and think about spiritual growth. Again, we're prone to frustration when we don't see real, significant, immediate growth in our lives. Many of us, we we, we can't see past the habitual sin struggle of the day, nor can we imagine a path forward to faithful obedience in that area. It affects the way that we treat one another. We get frustrated at the sin and the weaknesses of others, and we grow frustrated when they don't meet our expectations, our timeline for their growth and their transformation. They should know better. Haven't they moved past that by now? Church life. It causes us to associate short-term growth and things like excitement and momentum. We associate these things with, with success and faithfulness and impact. And this, this kind of short-sighted, immediate mentality then sends us chasing pragmatism over long-term, sustained faithfulness to God and to God's Word. It, it affects the way that we view current events. It affects the way that, that we see the culture around us. 
causes us to look at the world, especially at a time like today, and the events that are swirling on around us. It causes us to look at these things and to give ourselves over to anger and fear and despair. Now, the the problem with this this mindset, this immediate, short-sighted mindset, the the problem with this approach to our spiritual lives and all of these, these examples is that it tends to be impatient, like we've said already, it, it, it tends to be short-sighted, and it, it tends to be overly focused on the here and now. You, you see, what there is, is there's a failure to consider the long view. Simply put, the Lord's plan and timeline, the Lord's plan and timeline are often slower and longer than our own. That's why one of the things that the Bible calls us to as God's people, one of the things it calls us to do is to wait. More specifically, the Scriptures call us to wait on the Lord. We read in Psalm 37, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way. Don't get worked up about the man over there who's not faithful and yet who prospers over the man who carries out evil devices. Wait patiently for the Lord. And then Lamentations 3 says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Ultimately, what all this boils down to is this, that God is God and you and I, we're not. God is sovereign and you and I, we're not. God is all-knowing and we aren't. God is all-powerful. We, we aren't that either. His thoughts are not, are not our thoughts. His ways or not our ways. And as prophet Isaiah says, as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so then, it's with, with this setup in place, all kinds of, of, of directions we could go. There's so much that we could talk about this morning. And yet, honestly, there's, there's very little that I'm hoping to accomplish with this sermon. Because look, this, this sermon, it's, it's not a sermon on, on waiting, necessarily. And, and it isn't either a, a necessarily about patience. Though I, I think that the text that we work through today will have something to say about waiting and they'll have something to say about patience. But look, here's what I want to accomplish. I want to narrow this down. There's very little that I want to accomplish today and that's this. I want to preach a sermon about perspective. Perspective. That, that's what I'm hoping to do this morning. That's what I'm hoping to accomplish in our time together this morning. As we head into the new year, I want us to take a moment now this morning 
and to gain some biblical perspective about the manner in which we often see the Lord at work in the Scriptures and the manner in which He often continues to work in our lives and in our world today. You see, the the Lord's plan, the Lord, our our sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful God, His plan is often slower, and His timeline is often longer and grander and greater and bigger than our own. And so this, this morning, in light of that, I want to invite you to take a step back from your short-sighted faith and our our short-sighted spirituality. And I I want us to consider the perspective of what I'm calling this morning long-term or long-view Christianity. I want us to take the long view this morning. Now, it's, it's worth mentioning at this point, that, that in the church, especially churches like ours that kind of swim in church planting circles, um, and, and maybe, maybe you've even found that your mind is going there already, as I've been talking about the, the, the slow, long plan of, of the Lord, maybe you've already gone to the early chapters of the book of Acts. And this is what we like to do in, uh, in, in church planting circles. We like to go to the first chapters of the book of Acts and treat the the thousands being added to the the early Christians' numbers on a daily basis. We like to treat that as a normative pattern for the church. And actually, I think that if we considered Acts in the blazing speed of of growth in the early church, in, in the context of the rest of the Bible... I think we might arrive at a very different conclusion because I think we might see a fair amount of contrast between what's happening in the book of Acts and what we see happening in much of the rest of Scripture. I think the rest of Scripture causes Acts to stick out, not as normative, but as an especially extraordinary season in the life of the church. You see, something spectacular was happening in those early days of the church, in those early chapters in the book of Acts, which is made even more clear, for example, at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. What do we see happening at Pentecost? The Lord told his followers before he ascended, he said, wait, what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And that's what happens. The Lord pours out his spirit on the believers who are waiting. And then later on in Acts chapter 8, we see a very similar scene unfold with the Samaritans. The Lord pours out his spirit upon the Samaritans. And then again, in Acts chapter 10, we see the Gentiles get their own version of Pentecost. And look, I I think what's happening in these early chapters isn't ordinary and pedestrian. The Lord is pouring out His Spirit upon His people, and in so doing, He is establishing His church, and He's preparing His church to go and to spread. Something, something true, truly extraordinary and very particular is happening here. So I, I just I, I want to be careful to, to say on the, at the onset that the Lord can and at times does act very swiftly. 
He does incredible and extraordinary things in a moment. He changes lives in an instant. He brings revival that sweeps across generations. He does all of these things, yes and amen. And yet, much of the work that the Lord does, much of the Lord that we see the, work, uh, the Lord do in and among his people happens much more slowly. Oftentimes, over the course of relatively long periods of time. And there are a lot of examples of this. Let me give you a few so that you see what we're talking about here. Think of, think of Abraham and Sarah, formerly known as Abram and Sarai. In Genesis 12, the Lord promised Abraham, then Abram, and his wife, Sarah, who was unable to conceive, the Lord promised them a child. He promised them offspring. And in fact, it was through this promised offspring that the Lord also promised to make Abraham a great and mighty nation. And Abraham, he was 75 when the Lord made this promise to him. We read this in Genesis 21. It says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Remember, Abraham was 75 years old when this initial promise of offspring was made. And now in chapter 21, we read that the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. What we're witnessing here in Genesis 21 is the fulfillment of a great promise of the Lord. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And then verse 5. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. This incredible fulfilled promise. How long did it take for this promise to be fulfilled? 25 years. A quarter of a century. That makes it sound even longer. A quarter of a century. 25 years. Of waiting. 25 years of longing. 25 years of expecting. 25 years of silence. And this, in terms of this particular promise, consider the, the life of Joseph. When Joseph was 17, he had a dream that his brothers would one day bow at his feet. What a dream, especially when you come from a big family, like Joseph did. Well, after he had this dream, he started talking about it. His uh, brothers weren't impressed by that, and so what did they do? Did within what any old, older brothers would do to a younger brother, they sold him into slavery. After he was sold into slavery, he was later falsely accused of making unwanted advances at an Egyptian officer's wife, and because of these false accusations, he was thrown into prison. 
Eventually, he was released from prison after correctly interpreting Pharaoh's dream and predicting a coming seven-year famine. At the age of 30, this is 13 years later, at the age of 30, he would become a high-ranking official for Pharaoh. In his late 30s, that drought that was predicted in Pharaoh's dream that he had interpreted, in his late 30s, that drought finally hit. Back to the original dream some 20 years before, his brothers would, when he's in his late 30s, they would come to him, not knowing it was him, they would bow at Joseph's feet and beg him for grain to get them through the famine. And then when his brothers asked for forgiveness, when they found out, when they realized that it was him, they asked him for forgiveness. This was his response to them. He said, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Many people were kept alive because Joseph was able to interpret that dream, manage seven years of prosperity before seven years of famine. And it was through Joseph that the Lord would preserve a remnant for himself. He he would literally sustain his people. But Lord, look, this this happened over the course of, of two decades. Two hellacious decades. Decades of serious up, serious highs, and serious lows. And we see Joseph, he, he had a long view perspective, didn't he? Am I in the place of God? You meant it for evil. The Lord, he meant it for good. Or we could look in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, the Lord hears the cry of his people who are enslaved in Egypt. We uh, recently preached through this book. And as he hears their cries, he promises not only to deliver them out of slavery, but he promises to lead them into what he calls the promised land. Exodus 3. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And the thing is, is that the Lord could have delivered his people that very day. He could have done it. He could have delivered them from slavery that very day. He could have brought an end to their suffering that very day. And I think you and I could agree that if if we were in the place of the Israelites and we would have been crafting our plan for deliverance, that would have been our plan. Right? Like, yep, we're going to leave today. But what we see is that it's not until after a series of ten plagues that the Israelites are set free. 
And even then, the Lord leads his people on a 40-year-long journey through the wilderness of the desert before they enter the promised land. Deliverance. Redemption. It's a long plan. It's a plan. It's a timeline that's longer and slower than our plan might be. Or you could look at that blank page between the Old and the New Testaments, between Malachi and Matthew. If your Bible has a blank page between these two books that separate the Old Testament and the New Testament, I think we've we've talked about this before, that blank page represents, it symbolizes 400 years, four centuries of silence. There was... No prophetic record or or record of prophetic activity between Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament. For some some reason, the, the Lord saw it fit to insert 400 years of silence right smack dab in the middle of his plan of redemption. That's really interesting. Consider the life and ministry of Jesus. Consider the fact that we have very little record of Jesus' life prior to his early 30s in the gospel accounts. And it's in his early 30s then that his ministry really begins. For example, Luke tells us in in Luke chapter 2 of his gospel, he tells us that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. There are three decades packed into that single verse. Three decades. Now again, if, if, if I am crafting the plan, what I would probably do is I would send 30-year-old Jesus like, to earth. Like God would incarnate as a 30-year-old and, and arrive on earth and do his redemptive work. But instead, what what does the Lord do? Jesus comes as a baby. And slowly, over time, he grew. We could consider the, the church planning ministry of Paul. In Acts 16, we read this account from Paul's church planning ministry. It says, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. The plan for Paul, I'm sure this is a carefully constructed plan, the plan was to go preach the gospel and plant churches in Asia. But they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. And when they had come up to Mysia, they, were, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so passing by, Mys- uh, by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, Paul was a much godlier man than I. But if this would have been me, I, I, don't, know about, I don't know about you, but I don't respond particularly well when the plans that I have carefully kind of made and like I have them just so, 
I'm usually not too excited when those plans get interrupted. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not always excited when those plans get interrupted and reshaped by the Lord himself. And I I wonder if there was any frustration that that welled up in Paul's heart. Perhaps, perhaps not. If his his focus was short-sighted on the immediate, on the here and now, perhaps, perhaps he might have grown frustrated. He put a plan together. He put a, a team together. And now everything was changing. But look, the, the Lord was up to something here. The Lord was up to something very, very big. So, something much bigger than Paul. Something much bigger than Paul's ministry. Something much grander than Paul's lifetime. In fact, Paul wouldn't get to see the significance of what's happening here in his own lifetime. One pastor and commentator, Kent Hughes, says this, The overall effect of what we've just read from Acts 16 was to funnel him directly west toward the Dardanelles Straits. These serve as the modern-day boundary between Asia and Europe, and into Europe. He was actually driven west by closed doors. And then he says, this was one of the great turning points of history, and we should thank God for it, for as a result, the gospel has come to us in the West. John Stott, another commentator, says that with the benefit of hindsight, knowing that Europe came, uh, became the first Christian continent, they didn't know it as Europe then, we know it as Europe now. And was until fairly recently the main base for missionary outreach to the rest of the world, we can see what an epic-making development this was. It was from Europe that in due course the gospel fanned out to the great continents of Africa, Asia, North America, Latin America, Oceania, and so reached the ends of the earth. Another scholar says, authentic turning points in history are few, but surely among them, that of the Macedonian vision ranks high. Again, the, the, the long view and the per- perspective of hindsight that allows us to, to take that all in helps us to see that there was, there was something bigger There was something greater, there was something grander, there was something fuller, there was something, honestly, slower in the works than Paul could have have ever imagined. And even you and I, we stand and we sit here in the sanctuary in in, in many ways because of the, 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 the developments that were brought about on that very day in Paul's ministry by the closed doors, by the, the frustrated plans. Short-sightedness misses all of that. And so, here's what I want to do with the, the short bit of time we have left. I, I, I want to make this really practical. Let's answer the so what question, right? Okay, so, so the, the Lord's timeline is, is a little bit longer than our own. His plans at times... Uh, uh, develop a little bit more slowly than our own, well, so what? Let's answer the so what question. Let's, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's talk first of all about spiritual disciplines. Longview Christianity has something to say about spiritual disciplines. 
Longview Christianity invites us to ask the question, uh, asks us to, to, ask, to, to not just ask the question, have I read my Bible and prayed consistently this week? Have I read my Bible and prayed consistently this month? But long, Longview Christianity, it, it invites us to consider the impact of consistent communion with the Lord over the course of years. It invites us to consider the, the impact of consistent communicate, uh, uh, fellowship with the Lord and communion with the Lord over the course of decades. Or it invites us to look back and to reflect upon years of fellowship and communion with the Lord. It invites you to look back and to reflect upon decades of fellowship and communion with the Lord and, and the ways in which He's shaped you by it. It, it invites us to, to remember that dry seasons give way to rich seasons. And in fact, that one day we'll likely look, look back upon that dry season and realize how rich it really was. Because we're able to see how the Lord worked to sustain us in it and through it. Help us to realize that this rich season is in preparation for uh, perhaps another dry season that is to come. And so what I think Longview Christianity invites us to do and calls us to do is to keep showing up. It's really simple when you think about it that way. Just keep showing up. And so look, in, in, in the new year, that's what I want to invite you to do with, with a, a Bible reading plan. What would you consider? Just keep showing up. And I, I know it's a really long book going to take you a long time. And over the course of days and weeks and months, it's going to feel like you haven't gotten very far, especially if you miss a few days. But consider if you start stringing together a few days, and those days become weeks, and those weeks become months, even if you miss a few days in between. Imagine keeping this up over the course of a year, or two years, or three years. You might get through this whole thing once, twice, or more. Think about extending this over the course of your lifetime. Think about what you might learn. Think about how you might grow. Think about the work that the Lord might do. Con consider the long view and just keep showing up. You can apply the long view to spiritual growth and maturation. Look, and, and this is this is frustrating. It's frustrating for me, and I'm sure it's frustrating for you. Life, life transformation, both in yourself and in others, it, it doesn't always happen in a microwave, does it? <laughs> life transformation, growth, spiritual formation, oftentimes it's really long and slow work. It's, it's not even like comparing a microwave to a crock pot. It's more like comparing a microwave to like crafting a fine wine. Like sometimes a fine wine has to sit in the cellar for years. And as it does, it gets better and richer. And so 
Longview Christianity, it, it, it's an invitation to us to extend grace to others. When they don't change or mature or grow as quickly as we think that they should. We should fight against discouragement when, when you don't see as much progress in your own spiritual life as you'd like. And ultimately, I think Longview Christianity wants to ask us this question. Will you give yourself to the slow work of true life transformation? Will you give yourself to the slow work of life transformation? The kind of life transformation that doesn't, again, happen in an instant, but but that happens slowly over the course of time? Are you prepared to maintain a long-term faithful presence in the lives of others in order to see them grow and mature and be sanctified, in order for yourself to grow and to mature and to be sanctified? Are you willing to give yourself to the slow work of life transformation as you battle with that sin, that besetting sin that haunts you and that you're struggling to get past? Investment in others. You see, a a short-sighted perspective doesn't and, and, and even can't see past its own lifetime. The long view takes us beyond our own lifetimes. And so look, I want to talk especially to those in the room who are in their 50s, who are in their 60s. There there are some in the room who are much closer to our, our first birthday than we are to the end of our lives. And then we have the benefit of, of others in the room who are closer to the end than they are to the beginning. And if that's you, you might be saying to yourself, look, I don't know how many decades of Bible reading I have left. Let me ask you to consider the impact of your investment in the lives of younger generations. Like a, a, a long view calls us to, to look around the room and to say, how? How can I do work? How can I make an investment in the lives of those around me that will last and extend far beyond my lifetime? Would you consider making an investment? Would you consider making a deposit in the lives of others in the room, uh, uh, other younger members of our body? Longview Christianity, it, it impacts how we view seasons of life. It's easy to become consumed by this season, isn't it? Whatever this season is. Ah, it's a really busy season, really hectic season. It's been a really rough season. It's been a really good season for us. Do you find yourself talking in terms of seasons often? Are you consumed by the season? Do you find it hard to see past this season? Or perhaps you find yourself getting into the business of wishing away a season? If I could just get past this season. A long view will help you to stay present and appropriately engaged in this season of life, whatever it is, good or bad, 
sad or glad. And it reminds us that God is at work in ways that you may never see. God is at work in this season. And while we would prefer to skip to the ends, the Lord is making use of the means. This season is the means. It reminds us that this season will give away to another. And also this season will prepare us for another. We can apply the long view to, to church life as well. Especially on the heels of a year or, 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 or two where we've seen roughly one-third of our members move or leave the church for various reasons. It reminds us that what we're after as a church and what the work that we're about here as Two Pillars Church has nothing to do with flash-in-the-pan growth. It has nothing to do with momentum. It has nothing to do with just this year, but what, what we want to be about as a church is we want to be about the work of maintaining a long-term faithful presence over the course of decades. The work that we're about here isn't just for us. But Lord willing, our children will worship as a part of Two Pillars Church. Lord willing, brothers and sisters, one day our grandchildren, some of our grandchildren will worship as a part of the Two Pillars Church body, as a part of bodies elsewhere as well. Lastly, it impacts the way that we, we view culture and current events. It's easy to look at everything going on in the culture and the world around us and to arrive at the reasonable conclusion that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I think that's a reasonable conclusion. I don't think that's foolish. Um, like Things are devolving, and it feels as though they're devolving at a, a rapid rate. Can, can we um, agree with this? Maybe that's just my perspective. Uh, but in the midst of this, it's easy to give ourselves over to frustration and anxiety and, and anger and fear and even despair. The long view reminds us that the Lord is at work even now in the midst of it all. It reminds us that His sovereign purposes cannot and will not be frustrated. And, and, and it invites us to ask the question, I wonder what God is up to now. The long view helps us to read the newspaper <laughs> with a sense of curiosity and ask ourselves, man, what is God up to? There's one... Um, gray-haired pastor in the Acts 29 uh, church planting network who brings just lots of years and wisdom um, to the table. And I was sitting in on a, a Zoom call with a bunch of pastors, um, and, and, and many of us, this was kind of in, in the heat of the pandemic and, and everything that's been swirling around over the last two um, years or so. And his words to the room was this. He goes, gentlemen, I'm, I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous of you guys. Because God is up to something really big right now. And I don't know that I'm going to get to see what it is in my lifetime. Longview Christianity allows us to say crazy things like that. Now, a, a few quick caveats. This isn't an invitation to laziness or procrastination or, or, or apathy. I'm not saying that a sense of urgency is irrelevant. For example, urgency is always relevant. 
when we talk about repentance, today is the day for repentance. This is, we shouldn't have a long view of repentance. We should actually repent today. Now, repentance plays itself out over the long term. But don't wait to repent tomorrow of what you could repent of today. Same uh, with evangelism. Today is the day of salvation, the Apostle Paul says. And also our, our expectation of Jesus' return. The Scriptures are clear that Jesus' return is imminent. It's coming. It's, it's just around the corner, and we should live our lives as if this is true. However, the, the Lord's plan and His timeline, they're often slower and longer than our own. They're, they're, they're greater and they're grander than our own. And, and Longview Christianity, it's a call to recognize that the Lord's plan and the Lord's timeline might be different than yours, might be different than mine. It's Longview Christianity is a call, in light of this perspective, to patient yet expectant endurance of faith. So I want to close with these words from Colossians 1. The Apostle Paul writes, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be, fulfilled, you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Notice that our conversation today isn't unrelated to our Advent sermon series on joy because it appears as though joy has something to do with strengthening us for enduring in the faith. But uh, two pillars. Perspective. That, that's what I want to give us today as, as we head into the new year. As, as we turn the page on another year, I, don't want, I want to invite all of us to, to take a long view perspective on the year to come and the years that follow that as well. And may this perspective spur us on toward a patient, expectant endurance of faith this year and in the years that follow. Let's pray. Lord, uh, your ways are not our ways. Your timeline is not our timeline. Thanks be to you for that. Because our timelines are flawed and yours is perfect. Father, we are so grateful to be swept up into your story of redemption. Father, will you uh, fill us with an appropriate sense of urgency? Yes, Lord. But would you also give us a long view perspective that invites us to a patient yet expectant sense of endurance in the year and the years to come? Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.